if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing our walk through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be looking at a really familiar passage of Scripture. It's on page 684 and 685 in your pew Bible. 684 and 685. I know none of you in this room have anything that's happening at noon today. Just an uncomfortable laugh that kind of rolls through the sanctuary. I'll be done pretty much close to that, okay? And there's radio broadcasts and stuff on your way home. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6. If you know, you know. And if not, you're free to just be present in a moment. All right, Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you might expect, I get emails pretty regularly from different companies that sell books. You know, books are a pretty important part of my life and my calling. And every now and then, there's a book title that stands out to me, and I think, well, maybe I really should, I should buy that book. It feels very pertinent to whatever it is that I'm walking through, or perhaps a sermon series that I'm preaching. And it was that latter reason where this email came through, and I was kind of skimming what was there. And the title is an interesting title, The Secret Place of Thunder, Trading our need to be noticed for a hidden life with Christ. And I said, self, sounds very much like Sermon on the Mount that you're going to be preaching through. And so I ordered that book, and it's by a pastor named John Stark who lives in New York City. They planted a church up there, and God's been gracious that there's still a, there's still a church. And his book, in the opening verses, the opening uh, chapters of it, really kind of st- struck home with me. He talked about one of the things that happened in the pandemic was that we were forced to become more invisible to the rest of the world. You're forced to kind of be secluded. And those of us who work jobs during the pandemic, um, there's a part of us that we think, well, if my employer doesn't see me um, producing, there might be this temptation to say, do we really need that guy anyways? What's that guy doing out there if he's not producing? And it can kind of create this anxiety. Maybe you were there. Maybe in your profession you are like, all right, huh. And if you didn't notice, like, I'm kind of in the business of congregating with people. 
And like in a moment's notice, all that was gone. But other things were gone. Academics weren't what they used to be. Athletics weren't what they used to be. It's occurred to me that, that recently I've been at sporting events just like, wow, how incredible. We get to do this again. All of these people in a room. Parties weren't happening anymore. At least not, they weren't supposed to be. Right? All these things, our social identity, all the ways that we found kind of this sense of meaning and purpose in a moment were gone and we were kind of forced to live this hidden life. And he talks about how that's particularly difficult for people who are living in a culture that's so performative. That so much of our sense of identity and value is found not just in the things that we do, but in other people knowing about them. And we'll see in a minute, it's not a particularly modern problem. People have always had that problem. There's just so many more easy ways to broadcast ourselves now. And maybe... Maybe yours is still Facebook. This kind of shows you how old you are, by the way, which one of these I identify with. Maybe it was Facebook. Maybe it was Twitter. Maybe it was Instagram. I refuse things like TikTok. I'm sorry. I just refuse. I feel like real old if I watch a TikTok video. But anyway, what all these things do is they allow us to show some image or vision of ourselves or our lives that doesn't ultimately line up with reality. And it's this weird thing. It kind of gives you this little, this little dopamine hit, maybe. You're like, here's a picture of us doing something awesome while you're not. Like, huh, felt pretty good. And really, there's this, there's this part of that that can seep over into our spiritual life as well. There can be this performance-based Christianity, if we're not careful, that we're going through the motions, we're doing the stuff, Everybody thinks we're where we ought to be in our relationship with the Lord, that our hearts are right. But we know ourselves, don't we? If you came to my house today, unannounced, you would get a very different experience than if I invited you over to dinner on Friday night. Correct? Things are going to be neat and tidy. There's not going to be clothes on the couch in the front room. You know, we're going to act like we got it together. There's this sense that we want you to think that this is true about who we are all the time. And I really especially struggle with this, and my heart really is going out. And maybe it's just because I'm old now, 44 years old. Sounds ridiculous to say, by the way, at 44. But I particularly have a heart for, for kids who are growing up in this world. Because the things that, that we're tempted to applaud in them, are the things that everybody can see on the outside. If you're good at sports, if you're good at singing or acting, or if you're good at, maybe you're the valedictorian, all these different things, if you belong to the right social group, there are all these things that we're, we're tempted to applaud. And the truth of the matter is, you could be smart, athletic, socially connected, and your interior life could be terrible. You could be morally and ethically bankrupt. And we might all just be like, yeah, you're doing great. And those parts inside that I think the Lord cares about most deeply are harder things for us to, to see and to prize and to encourage growth in. 
Like, likely you're not walking in the junior high this week and everybody's like, you went to church this week. Yeah. Right? You read your Bible this morning. Man, you're killing it. Good job. But all the things are performance-based. And it, it's, not just, it's not just young people. It's also all of us who are here. And it can even affect our understanding of how God sees us. There can be this temptation in prayer to think that God really is waiting on us to get our act together or if we're impressive, then he wants to hear our prayers and like really dial in and focus in with us. But if we're not meeting expectations or we're not doing what we know we ought to do, God's like, I'm not hearing it until you get it together. And the truth of the matter is, as you walk through this Lord's Prayer, we call it, the Lord shows us that all of that stuff that you and I focus so much attention on, the Lord sees past every bit of it. And he sees true to the heart of, of who we are. One of the things about my profession is that it, guess where I spend a lot of time? Cemeteries. Have you been to a cemetery lately? And I was out there recently in a cemetery, and it was, it was, it was a dreary day overall. It's like wet, and everything is kind of muddy and gross. And, you know, I'm standing there, and we're doing the service. And I text, texted a friend of mine. I said, death is a humbling reality. That all the things that you and I can amass or accomplish, all the reasons people might applaud us, all of that stuff is so very temporary. And ultimately, the Lord sees to what matters most to our hearts. And he loves us. And he desires for us to draw near to him in prayer. And so we're just going to walk through a passage that's so familiar to you. And my hope is, is that you are reminded of the intimacy that the Lord wants to have with you through prayer. And there is this freedom that you feel to draw near to him in a way that maybe you haven't in a while. So Jesus says, all right, first things first, when you pray, don't do it out in front of everybody. Now, one of my other occupational hazards is that I pray a lot in front of people. Like, chances are, if I show up at your house for dinner, like, I better have one in the back pocket. Because you're not going to, maybe you won't pray. You're like, all right, here's the preachers here, pray. Right? But I could be a really good public prayer and be way off. Way off. You would never know it. Right? Don't, don't, don't get so caught up praying in front of people. And we go to this weird thing that I'll talk about in a minute. We say words we'd never say anywhere else when we pray. Our tone of voice changes. Anyways, don't worry about praying in front of people. Go into the secret place where your father who's unseen sees you. And when you pray, don't do all these words. Don't just go babbling on and on about all these things that you need. Because the person you're praying to is your whom. He's your father. He's your father. One of the things that you kids need to know, when I say kids, everybody under 20, is that your parents are gifted with this real great ability that we know you better than you think we do. 
And like everybody else in the room might be watching you and like, oh, he's good. Mark's holding it together. Everything's fine. But you're like, no, mm-mm, something ain't right there. In a similar manner, the, our Heavenly Father is the same way. Like, he sees us and he knows us. And there's this great freedom that comes from not going into his presence, like trying to pretend and like using all these words that we usually don't use or thinking that if we just present our best case, then maybe he'll hear. He says, he says don't do that. This is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven. Person that you're speaking to, I joke with the first congregation, I'm tempted to say, the person to whom you are speaking, so you think I know what I'm doing. The person that you're speaking to is your father. Not some distant God out there somewhere, but this person who made you in his image, he's redeemed you through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. There's no, there's no need to put on airs before him. Do you feel more comfortable dressed up at a party or more comfortable in your sweatpants in your den? Like, I'll come to your party and I'll put on the nice clothes. But when I get home, it's like, whoa, whoo. Like, do you feel that way? It's over. Whew. Be myself again. Similar thing, like, as we come to our Heavenly Father, you ought to have more of the den feeling Less of the I'm dressed up at the party feeling. Less do I have this bow tie on right because I never wear a bow tie. Do I look like an imposter in front of everybody? Less that, more I'm in my den with my father with my sweatpants on. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When's the last time you used the word hallowed outside of that prayer? Hallowed just means to set apart as holy. So there's this intimacy that we have with our Heavenly Father, but not, not, we're not lax in His presence. But there's this desire that we have that, that He would be set apart as holy in our lives and that us living into the family resemblance matters to us. That we have such love and respect and honor for our Heavenly Father, that, that we want His name to be hallowed in our lives. I don't often think to pray that. Would you think to pray that if Jesus didn't tell you to pray that? I don't think I would. There's so much wisdom in that. I read Proverbs a lot, and it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. If you don't fear the Lord, healthy reverence, healthy honor of Him, then it's hard to obey and walk in His ways. Okay? So we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Help me to treat your name and your person with honor and respect. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now notice we haven't yet got to our own personal petitions yet. I also don't always think to think about God's kingdom more, coming more fully on earth and his will being done. As I was been, I've been praying this prayer a lot this week. If I told you for the reward, I've already gotten it. I've been praying this prayer a lot this week and thinking through these different phases. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Like all the things that Jesus has been warning us against. Anger. Thinking about, Lord, may I be a peacemaker. Right? Your kingdom come. That kind of stuff won't exist in heaven. 
lust. Or for the ways that, I mean, I improperly look at other people or they, you know, you would protect me and help me be someone who's pure in heart. You'd protect the marriages in our church that you would help your kingdom come in my life and it to come more fully in our church and our community. Let me say what I mean and mean what I say. Help us to be people who are people of our word. All those things Jesus has been teaching are true of his kingdom. When we say your kingdom come, your will be done, all those things are just kind of loaded in our hearts and our minds that we're praying for. Things like what Mark told us to pray for. People in Ukraine, people in terrible situations, you all, that, that you and I don't experience, but we're praying for peace and God's kingdom to come, which might lead us to be more actively engaged and involved in, in those kind of works. Bring it in my heart. Bring it in my actions. Give us this day our what? Daily bread. I just really wonder if I'm reading through the book of Acts right now. And, I mean, uh, Exodus. And I think it's Exodus 18, where the Lord's given his people daily bread that he called what? Are they called manna? How do you think they responded to this daily bread they were given? Thank you, Lord. Nope. They grumbled. They complained. They didn't trust that he would provide, so they tried to store up extra for the Sabbath day. How'd that go? Terrible. Terribly. Reminding myself that every moment of every day, nothing's taken for granted. I need the Lord to provide my needs, and I need to be grateful that he does. Forgive us of our trespasses. Now, that part of the prayer I'm really good with. Because I, I, I know that I have a lot for which I need to be forgiven. Anybody else? Amen. That's what we've done like in the old school days. Can I get an amen? Yes. Like all of us. But then that second part, forgiving my trespasses, how? As I forgive those who trespass against me. Mm. Like that part of the prayer is hard. Because like I'm decent, generally good person. These people I'm having to forgive out here are terrible. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Dallas Willard in his book, Divine Conspiracy, he talks about this section. And he uses the word pity a lot. And he gets to the end of the section and he's like, okay. I've intentionally used the word pity because it evokes this emotional response in us. How many of you like to be pitied? It's just kind of like insulting, isn't it? Something that rises up. Don't, don't you pity me. I got this. You're beating me by 20, but you keep going, baby, because I don't, don't have pity on me. It's part of us that riles up underneath that. But he said, I use that word intentionally because... It gets at that deep need that you and, all, you and I have before the Lord. It's deep. There's nothing that we could do to save ourselves. He has shown us pity. We then turn our hearts out and we see others and we treat them with the same love that we've received from our Heavenly Father. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. No matter how smart you think you are, you're not. 
you're not. You'll choose things that you think are right. You'll choose things in past that you think make all the sense in the world. And apart from God's gracious hand guiding and leading you, you'll get off the path. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. You know there is an evil one. Seeks to devour. When we walk through life, Lord, we know that we can't do this on our own. Deliver us from the evil one. So this week, I hope you'll pray that prayer a lot. I hope you'll just pray the Lord's Prayer a lot this week. Remember, it doesn't matter how you look on the outside or if you got it all together. It's your Father. Just come to Him as you are. He delights for you to come to Him. You don't need a bunch of words. You don't need the right words. He already knows what you need before you come. Pray that He be hallowed and honored in your, in your life. Pray that his kingdom would come on earth even as it is in heaven. Hopefully that creates an ache and a longing in you that moves you to do something about it. Pray that he would meet your every daily need. Pray that he would lead you paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Pray that he would forgive you as you forgive other people. He might make you more Christ-like in how you treat other people. Pray that he would direct your steps. Pray that he would deliver you from the evil one. Um, It's been so helpful for me this week. You might pray part of the prayer on Monday. You might pray part of the prayer on Tuesday. Nothing says you have to get all the way through it. Just be like different points of emphasis throughout the week that you're praying. Praying it for other people. And let's see if the Lord isn't so gracious to answer our prayers according to his will. Make us more like Christ. Send us out in the world to be more like Jesus for the good of the world and for the glory of his name. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We don't have to be impressive. We don't have to pretend like we have it all together, that you just welcome us into your presence. Pray that we would reverence your name, walk in fear of you, healthy, godly fear. We pray that we would have a heart for your kingdom to come as we look at things that are broken, Lord, that you'd break our hearts, that you would give us a calling and a desire to be a part of your mission, to make it right, to make it more like your kingdom. In heaven, help us to walk in dependence upon you, trusting that you're going to provide for our every need and being grateful for you when you do. Lead us and direct our steps. Help us to be people who graciously and generously forgive as we've been gracious and generously forgiven. And protect us, we pray. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. I'm going to give you a